0: Welcome to those of you joining us in Auditorium 2. If you are watching online or maybe by way of television, the podcast, so glad that you're here today. We've been working our way through the Lord's Prayer, and as we have, we've been reading it, we've been saying it, we've been praying it together. So would you join me? Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 9, let's say it together. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your name. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. And we've been kind of working through a little pattern that we started back uh, New Year's Day to help us remember kind of the components of this. Help me not look silly, help me out here. So when we pray, we begin we look and then we look and we look and we look. And we look Now, next week, we'll look out. That's where we'll land as we kind of wrap up the Lord's Prayer. Today, we're going to look in. And Father, as we do, we know that your Spirit will help us. Lord, as we look in, if there are things that you want our spiritual eyes to see, would you help them to be wide open? Lord, for some of us, our hearts need softened a little. Our minds need settled God, we need to remember that you as our loving heavenly father want for us what fills us with joy and peace and righteousness in your presence. And so, Lord, would you use your word to do a a work inside of each one of us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you can be seated. Before I uh, spent my Sunday mornings here with you, I spent my Sunday mornings for nine years uh, as a children's pastor. And so uh, when you're a children's pastor, you not only have to know how to communicate with kids and uh, you not only have to be able to share God's word and teach them the Bible, you have to, I'm I'm, I'm fine, I'm just a little rusty. You have to uh, also... Have some tools to defend yourself or else the children will take over. They'll revolt and likely kill you. So I learned a lot of things. I, I was never real good with puppets, uh, you know, some illusions and storytelling and those kinds of things. And then a little bit with balloon animals. I was never that good, but it was, a, it was kind of a cool little tool. And so I can make a few animals like, uh, well, here's a snake. All right. And then the one, the one that I was, you know, the, the go-to is the dog. That's always the one that you just kind of go to. So again, I'm, I'm not good at this, but I'll give it a, give it a shot here. So um, I remember one time I had the privilege to be with Isaac Smithy, our missionary friend in Uruguay, and uh, we went on a Saturday afternoon to do an outreach at this church. It was a kids outreach, and he said, "Hey, look, you used to be a kids pastor, so." Why don't you come prepared to do some things? So I had some of these balloons that I could make balloon animals, and Isaac like, left me, and all they speak is Spanish, all I speak is not Spanish, right? And they left me out in the driveway of the church with about eight million kids in line, reaching, saying things I don't know what they said, asking for these balloon animals. So I'm out there in the sun, I'm making these after a while, and here's what inevitably happens whenever you, you do this with kids. They're so excited to get one, even if the man only knows how to make a dog. They're so excited to get one, and then it's just a matter of time until it's got a hold. The air starts to leak. They drop it. They lose it. More often than not, their friend breaks it. True? Yeah. Then they come back to me, and they want another one. But now they're at the end of the line because, remember, there's 46,000 kids. They all want these balloon animals, but I can't do it for them. I'm running out of balloons. I can't help them. And because they lost something, they're mad at me now. Right? <laughs> There's an art show that happens every year in Miami right around this time. And on Thursday, this last week was the VIP night. And so people could get an early showing, and they would go to all the different art installations. And there's a guy named Jeff Koons. And for well over 20 years, he's been known for the sculptures that he does that look like balloon animals. Here's one of them. I think we got a a picture here that we can show you. And he makes... Pretty close. He makes... uh, (laughs) Yeah, you think you're all. Um, he makes balloon animals out of porcelain, right? So this is, this is his thing, and apparently they're, they're highly valued, this kind of thing. So here's a picture from this last week of the art installation and where it was, and can you see Fido over here? And it was there. So Thursday night, the VIPs are there, people are walking around. One of the ladies who was a collector was walking around and she came over to it. Her curiosity got the best of her, and she said, is that really a balloon? Or is it something else? And when she touched it with one, there's witnesses that said she touched it with one finger. And when she did, here's what happened. It fell over into 100 pieces, shattered all over the place. It's insured, so she's not in trouble. It's valued at $42,000. So I'm gonna auction this off to the highest bidder. (laughs) $42,000. I would never put a value of $42,000 on that. The lady who broke it, probably she's, she's probably panicked thankfully. You got the insurance, you got all that. But to the person who it belonged to, it had incredible value now that's lost. How many times does that happen in our lives? That we have something that matters to us and other people might not even get it. Like you're wrestling with something and they go, hey, get over it, it's not that big of a deal. But when somebody comes and a little gun shy, whoa! Oh! You see, that got me right between the headlights. But when somebody comes and pops your balloon, they don't understand how much that meant to you. They don't know how deeply that hurt you. They don't get the full value. Get over it. You're fine. You'll be okay. Jesus knew it wasn't that easy. Right at the very heart of the Lord's Prayer, he teaches us to do this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Last week we talked about forgiveness and we talked about the idea of when we need forgiveness from God. And we looked at four forgiveness facts to talk about when we need forgiveness from God. Now God is saying to us, Jesus is instructing us, when you pray, ask for God to forgive you, and then you need to pray to forgive those who are debtors against you. The question we have to ask is why pray to forgive? Like why is that so important? Especially in those moments where somebody came into your life and they're the one that broke your balloon. They're the one that popped your dreams. They're the ones that came in and shattered your world Why do I have to forgive them? And today we're gonna consider this idea, why do we pray to forgive? Last week we looked at four forgiveness facts. Today we're gonna look at four more forgiveness facts and see what scripture says to us about this idea of why we pray to forgive. We're we're gonna cover a lot of ground here in the next few moments as we talk about what it means when you have to forgive me and I have to forgive you and we have to forgive those who have popped our balloons. If you're a note taker, We're gonna look at a lot of scriptures, a lot of things today, so you might wanna kinda get the digits warmed up and we're gonna jump in. Here's the first one, number one, of our four forgiveness facts. Number one, forgiveness keeps you right with God. One of the reasons why forgiveness is so important is because forgiveness keeps you right with God. Next week we'll get to verse 13 of Matthew chapter nine, Lord's Prayer, We'll, we'll wrap it up. And then in verse 14, Jesus gives us commentary on the Lord's Prayer. He only talks about one subject, right? He teaches us how to pray. And then in verse 14, he he says, hey, fellas, let me come back and highlight one thing. Here's what he says, Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. For if you forgive other people, he's going back to the forgiveness thing. Verse 13, he moved on in the prayer. But once he was done teaching the prayer, he says, hey, guys, we, we probably should talk about this. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You know how when you're reading your Bible, there's some verses you kind of read fast so you can skip over and not think about them? These are good ones to skip over. (laughs) But they're really important, and you shouldn't, even if it's a little tricky to think about them. Because it says this basically. Here's the idea that we find here. Forgiveness is a big deal, because how we forgive determines how we are forgiven. How we forgive determines how we are forgiven. It's really pretty simple, what did Jesus say? If you forgive others, you'll be forgiven. And if you do not forgive others, you'll not be forgiven. It's really kind of a tricky thing to think about. St. Augustine, centuries ago, referred to this as the terrible petition when he was teaching about the Lord's Prayer, he called it the terrible petition because he realized that if we pray, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and we have an unforgiving heart, then we're actually asking God not to forgive us. Think about it. If we say, Lord, forgive me as I've forgiven others, and then I'm not forgiving others, I'm literally saying to God, don't forgive me. (laughs) It's a terrible petition. It's a terrifying petition proposition. Now look, I know that forgiveness is not works-based. Do you earn your forgiveness? Yes or no? No, we're forgiven because of what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross. But here's what Jesus says. He says, you can have an unforgiving heart and as a result can actually forfeit your own forgiveness. Let let me give it to you in in a couple of thoughts. One is this, unforgiveness hinders our prayers. We looked at this a few weeks ago. Remember remember the passage of Scripture we looked at in 1 Peter that said, Husbands, don't treat your wives harshly and thus hinder your prayers. The way we treat other people can hinder our prayers. In fact, look at this. Psalm 66 verse 18 says this. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. That when you and I hang on to sin, and especially the sin of unforgiveness, it can literally hinder our ability to have communication with God. But even more than just this idea of how it hinders our prayers, unforgiveness keeps us unforgiven. Unforgiveness keeps us unforgiven. in a, In a little while, we'll, we'll get to Matthew chapter eight, it's probably not a little while, eventually, we'll get to Matthew chapter 18. When we do, there's a story that Jesus tells And he talks about um, a a king who called in someone who owed him money. Now, theologians and economists kind of go back and forth on how much money it was. But if you took the money Jesus mentions in Matthew 18 and you move it into today's society, it's probably about a billion dollars or more. Like we're talking a major debt. Jesus exaggerated to make a point. He said, imagine there's a guy who owes this king over a billion dollars, and the king calls him in and says, I'm, I'm calling you for it, I want my money. And the guy says, I don't have it. And he says, well, then I have to throw you in debtor's prison. And the guy begs him, literally begs him, and says, for my sake, for my family's sake, please don't do this. And the king forgives him his debt. The story then says that the guy goes on out and he runs into a guy who owes him money. It, it, it's probably, it's still a lot of money, probably the equivalent about of 100 days' wages. But in comparison to a billion dollars, By the way, if any of you make a billion dollars in 100 days, I will be in the atrium following the service. I'd like to have a biblical discussion about tithing. How's that sound? Just quick, it'll be quick, right? So the guy that owed a billion dollars runs into the friend who owes him over 100 days wages and says to him, give me my money. The guy says, I don't have it. He says, too bad then, you're thrown in prison. And what happens is word gets back to the king, and here's the king's response, Matthew chapter 18, verse 32. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Jesus gives commentary. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And there's this tendency when we read that story to go, how could that guy, he was forgiven a billion dollars. How could he hold that grudge? And Jesus is saying, you and I are prone to do the same thing. And even after all we've been forgiven, we have a tendency to wanna hold a grudge against other people. A heart that does not forgive does not realize how much it has been forgiven. And if I'm wrestling with unforgiveness, sometimes the best place to start is to remember how much I've been forgiven. Why is this important? Because the unforgiving Christian becomes the unforgiven Christian. This is Jesus' point here. I don't know how it works. I don't know where the line is. I don't, I don't know when you cross from being forgiven to this point where God's forgiveness is, is no longer Open to you. I, I don't think it's because God takes anything away. I think it's because we push it back. And when our hearts become that hard, when we get so filled with bitterness, it literally puts a wedge. It wrecks the relationship. It makes that things aren't right between us and God. And that's why Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty five. He said, "When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them." so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. The first reason why forgiveness is so important is because it keeps the relationship between you and God right. And you know who would love for that to be destroyed, don't you? You know we have an enemy, which when we're talking four more forgiveness facts, that takes us to our second one. Number two, forgiveness protects you from Satan's schemes. Number two, forgiveness protects protects you from Satan's schemes. Here's, here's where we pull this idea from. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. Paul is talking to the people in Corinth about someone that he's encouraged them to forgive, and, and he says, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And then what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. A lot of talk about forgiveness. Why, Paul? Why are you saying this? In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we're not unaware of his schemes, Paul says, look, the the enemy wants to destroy you and he's got tricks, he's got things up his sleeve, he's got schemes he likes to use and one of those is unforgiveness and when that unforgiveness takes on the root of bitterness and gets that foothold in your life, the enemy would like nothing more but we know he's gonna try it so we're gonna forgive because we are not unaware of his schemes, do you see what Paul's saying here? So I got thinking about this, and I'm like, well, what are his schemes? Like, what, what does he use? How does the enemy try to keep bitterness at work in your life and my life and keep us from forgiving those that have popped our balloons? How, how, do, how do we do that? Let me, let me show you real quick today some schemes in the devil's bitterness toolbox. Like, he's got some tricks up his sleeve. these are some schemes that are in the bitterness toolbox. There's probably more than these five. I'll just give you five real quick. One of them is gossip. The enemy will love to plant conversations or words or dialogues that get you not only talking about the things that have been done, but then talking more about that person and scheming and thinking and having all these ideas. And people kind of get in your ear. Do you know what I'm talking about? And it only reinforces... The devil's schemes and the things you might be holding on to. Look, look at this: Proverbs chapter sixteen, verse twenty-eight. A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. Maybe even more: Proverbs seventeen, verse nine. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense. That sounds like forgiveness, doesn't it? Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. I'll give you an extreme example. I've shared before, but many, many years ago, I was working with a couple that were going through a really tough time, and they were on the, by the time we really sat down, they were on the brink of divorce. And eventually, they, 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 they tried, but they got a divorce. They, they literally just went two very separate ways. It was not pretty. It was pretty ugly, actually. Years later, I was having a conversation with the wife, and one of the things she realized is that she was holding out bitterness, she was holding a grudge, she was angry with him because of things that someone else had told her about him that were not true. They were lies that someone else had told her because that other person wanted to see their relationship destroyed for her own purposes. And because those lies had been told to that wife, she believed that, and it literally led to unforgiveness that destroyed their marriage. Extreme example? Yes. But get ready. If you have a place where your balloon has been popped, eventually, psst, 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 is going to come your way. It's one of the schemes in the devil's toolbox. One is gossip. Here's the second one. It's what we would call comparison. I think the devil likes to use comparison to kind of just stir up that little pot of bitterness inside of us. Like, do you remember the passage in John 21 where Peter has just been forgiven by Jesus? Jesus has just told Peter he's forgiven. They're no sooner done with the conversation, Peter looks over, sees John, and says, Jesus, what about him? And John says, what is that to you? Or Jesus says to, uh, to, to Peter, what is that to you? which in the Chad Gilligan version is, Pete, it's none of your business, right? And yet, it's human nature. Psalm 73, the psalmist talks about the bitterness in his heart because he looks at what's going on in everybody else's life, and it almost destroys him on the inside. When I'm spending time, when I'm I'm focused on everybody else, if I have any root of discontent or unfairness or bitterness, doesn't that comparison just fuel that, If you're looking for a bitterness generator, has anybody ever tried social media? Right now look, social media is a phenomenal tool. It's a great way to keep in touch. It's been a great tool for communicating the gospel, but I don't think I've seen anything else in other people's lives, and even in my own, that can stir up comparison more. And if the enemy wants to try to get my mind off track, sometimes all he needs is the right Instagram post, the the right Facebook status, to make me start comparing myself to someone else. And if there's already a root of bitterness there, it can just like fuel on the fire. Used to be if you and I were gonna have an issue with each other, we would've had to have a conversation. Now I can have an issue with you and you never know it because I just see the picture you posted. And the enemy uses that in our lives to kind of stir that up. He'll use gossip, he'll use comparison. Here's another one that he uses. He likes to use pride where you and I take time to think, well, I don't, I don't need to forgive anybody, or they don't deserve my forgiveness, or I, I, I don't need to forgive. Years ago, centuries ago, when John Wesley came from England to the United States as a missionary, he had to interact with, with a leader named General Oglethorpe who was known to be prideful and unbending. And one day, Oglethorpe was kind of bragging to this young missionary, and he just said to him, I never forgive It's kind of a badge of honor with him. He says, I never forgive, to which Wesley said, then I hope, sir, you never sin. It's a good reply, because to think that we never have any need to forgive, we forget that we need forgiveness ourselves. Sometimes, though, my pride likes to hold on to those things. It likes to think of what was done to me or what was said to me, and kind of go back to that thing and I hold on to that in my pride, and the enemy would like nothing better, which takes us kind of to the next one because if if he can use gossip, comparison, and pride to get that thing inside of you, what he really likes to do is the next tool in his toolbox is I'll just call it staying stuck. He likes to keep you stuck there. For many of us, there was something that was said to us, or something that was done to us, or something that we experienced that for far too long, we've let it take up way too much valuable real estate in our brains. Do any of you that were born in the last century know what I mean when I say a broken record? Yeah, we used to, we used to have, the, turn to and, you, and it would go around, and when it would, if, if the needle wasn't right or something like that, it'd get stuck in your broken record. It's stuck in be a 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 broken record. Stuck in be, Right? You know what I mean? The enemy loves to do that. To put on loop in our brains the things we go back to, the things we remember. We can replay the movie in our mind of what was done to us. We can give you every detail of how we were done wrong. We can literally hear the voice that speaks to us those words that hurt us so deeply. And sometimes... Sometimes that bitterness feels so good. We kind of soak in it. Tim Keller has referred to the fact that that when we are in that kind of bitterness, especially if other people around us will affirm it, they'll acknowledge it. He said it's like this warm bath of bitterness that comes over us. Sometimes we like to soak in it. The, The zoo in San Antonio does a fundraiser every year. And what they do is they reach out to people and they say, hey, if you will give us $10, we will take a cockroach and we will name that cockroach after your ex. <laughs> your ex-spouse, your ex-boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is. They call it Cry Me a Cockroach. And what they do, 10 dollars 10 bucks. They take a cockroach, they name it after your ex, and then they feed it to one of the animals at the zoo. You're not into cockroaches? You can get a vegetable for five bucks. You're really bitter? You can get a rodent for 25. And when you do it, then they send you a digital card, like a digital Valentine's card, telling you exactly what happened. And you can also opt in to have, I'm reading this, because I would never say this in my real life, but you can opt to send their ex-boo a digital Valentine's Day card, informing the person that broke your heart that a cockroach, rodent, or veggie was named after them to feed an animal. For 150 bucks, for 150 bucks, they'll actually record a video of your named cockroach getting eaten so you can have it, I suppose, for your own enjoyment. Last year, 8,000 people took them up on it all 50 states and 30 countries, said, I'll buy a cockroach. To this point, Zach, Ray, and Adam are the most submitted ex names. Sorry, fellas. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of a funny story, brilliant marketing, great fundraising, 8,000 people. That's a lot of people harboring a lot of hurt. And it probably wouldn't take you very long to think of the cockroaches in your life. (laughs) Names that came to mind. Sorry, Adam, Ray, and Zach about all that. Here's what the author of Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root. But 17, 18 years ago, we moved into a new house. And when we did... All along the side of the house, there were these, these bushes, these shrubs that were there. We didn't like them from the get-go. and We didn't live there very long, and Rhonda said, we probably should take those out. And that means, Chad, go take those out. And so, uh, so one, one day I did. I had no idea that those were actually the original plants that God had cursed in the Garden of Eden and then sent them to Northwest Ohio. <laughs> These things just had little thorns all over them. They were nasty. They were stubborn. I don't know what it's called. I, I probably, whatever it is, it's probably a curse word. I don't know, but they're, they're bad dudes. But even after you get rid of what's above the ground, you know what the worst part was? Those roots. Yes, you have them too. Those roots go so almost insidiously deep to the point that even if you don't get them all out, they'll come back next year. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You know what the enemy would love to do? He'd he'd love to put that popped balloon on loop in your life so that over and over again, he's growing a, a bitter root inside of you. Look, don't get me wrong. I know what happened to you was not right. It was not fair. And it's not what God wanted. But at some point, if you hold on to those things, not only are you stuck, I'll just just say this. You know what I think the, the enemy loves to use? This is the last thing real quick that's in his toolbox. It's just wounds. He loves to put wounds in our lives that every time we try to move, we feel them. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like you, you have some kind of injury or whatever, and then every time you go to lift, ah, every time you bend over, you're like, ooh, ooh. And some of you have those those wounds in your life. That every family gathering is like, ooh. Every every conversation, or maybe even to the point that you just don't even have conversations anymore. It's done, it's over. And some of us have those with some of the people who should love us the most. And yet, ah, it's like this every time. I can tell you that in, in the years that I've been privileged to be in pastoral ministry, there was no time when I saw more wounds than the last three years. A pandemic, nasty politics, racism, not just divided politicians, but in seasons of divided church, I watched more people, and oftentimes with good intentions, say things that wounded a brother and sister in Christ. In a ah, in a way that's very, very real. I mean, I'll, I'll take it one more step. There is way, way, way too many of you in this room, listening or watching to this, who your wounds, they didn't come from family. They came from God's family. They came in a church, and there was a pastor, or there was a church, or there was a ministry leader, or there was a brother or sister in Christ that did something where you were taken advantage of, or you were disrespected, or you were demeaned, or you were hurt in some way. stories I hear over and over again And I know that this is limited in what it can mean in this moment, but if it was this church or if this was this pastor, please forgive me because that's not what the church should be. You know that the church is the representation of Jesus Christ, right? (laughs) But the church isn't Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ never fails, but Jesus' people will, true? (laughs) And they let us down. Too many of us have let our church wounds keep us from church. We've let the the wounds that have come from followers of Jesus keep us from truly loving Jesus. I know far too many people who have let the wounds that the enemy pulled out of his toolbox, I'm not saying they're not real. I'm not saying it wasn't wrong. I'm just saying too many people have let those wounds keep them from healthy relationship and keep them from joy and peace I know people were something that happened decades ago. It's history. And the enemy brings it up over and over again because if he can use it to keep you from God's people or to keep you from God's best, he will do it every chance he can. Which, which takes us then maybe to the third reason why forgiveness is so important. Number three, forgiveness helps you live in peace with each other. Forgiveness helps you live in peace with others. Robert Louis Stevenson many years ago wrote a a story about two single sisters, two elderly sisters who never married, who lived together in a one-room apartment. And as happens when you spend too much time with people, sometimes they had a little falling out. Theirs happened to me because of theology. They disagreed on something about the, the study of God and what they believed. And as a result, they had such a bitter falling out that they completely stopped talking to each other. But either because of financial situation or maybe their own pride, they refused to move out. So these two people who never talked to each other stayed in that same one-room apartment. And what they did was they drew a a line down the middle of the apartment (laughs) so that you could come in the door, you could go to the kitchen, you could use the bathroom, like you could live without ever having to truly cross over the other person's side. You never crossed the line, they never talked to each other. Meals without talking. Days of just glaring at each other. Family members who would come over to visit and find awkward silence from one or the other. And every night when they went to bed, they would hear the heavy breathing of their enemy in that same room with them. What a miserable way to live. Because they argued about something about God. How many times do you think they they heard or read or even prayed the Lord's Prayer and yet never let it sink in for them to forgive? Forgiving others is so essential. Can can I just real quick, because I know it's not easy to forgive other people. Can Can I real quick just give you a few thoughts, things to remember when forgiving others? I know we're, we're kind of drinking from a fire hose today, but, but think about this. Things to remember when you forgive others. Here's the first one. I would encourage you to forgive daily. That you make it a part of your regular practice. That, that you don't just store up offenses and then clean them out twice a year. Anybody? <laughs> like that, look at what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. Remember this passage. He says, give us today our daily bread. And the actual language says, and. It's like these, these two thoughts are connected. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And I truly believe Jesus is saying, Lord, today I need you to provide for me physically and today I need you to cleanse me spiritually and today I need to check and see is there anybody I need to forgive? Because if I'm just holding on to it, then that root begins to grow and it gets bitter and bitter and bitterer along the way. It's not a one-time thing. I think it's a daily thing we have to practice because here's the reality. If you and I are gonna spend time together, I'm probably gonna bug you tomorrow. So you're gonna have to forgive me on Tuesday. Like it is a daily process. So look, forgive daily. Here's the second thing. Don't keep score. Don't keep score So many times we're quick to kind of think this through in a certain way. Do you remember the passage of scripture? Peter's talking to Jesus and says this, Matthew chapter 18. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Pete thought he was showing off here. The truth is a lot of the rabbis would have taught that you should stop forgiving at three so, so let's say that I sin against you and you forgive me once and then I sin against you and you forgive me twice and I sin against you you forgive me three times. The rabbis would have said, hey, at three, you've just seen that this person should not be trusted so you don't have to forgive him anymore. And Peter's like, well, I can, I can do better than that. When I go to Jesus, I'm gonna double it and then up at one. And he says, Jesus, what, what do you think? Should I, should I forgive him seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times but 77 times, or some Bible translations will say 70 times seven, you ever heard that? So apparently it's only 490, can I get an amen? (laughs) It's not the point. This is kind of a Jewish rhetorical tool for Jesus to say, don't hold a grudge, don't keep track. Pete, the, the magic number is not seven. The magic number is don't count, don't keep score. D.L. Moody said it this way, which I I think is really clever. He was talking about forgiveness, and he said, Forgiveness is not to bury the hatchet with the handle sticking out of the ground so you can grasp it the minute you want it. I know this, this doesn't happen with adults. You're all way too mature, more mature than this would ever happen. But when I worked with kids or junior high students, and you came to a point where there was some kind of conflict, sometimes you'd get forgiveness expressed from one person to another, but they knew how to weaponize it. You wouldn't, you wouldn't do this. But kids would say, I just want you to know that I forgive you. I mean, you're just not a nice person. And the words you said really hurt me. And I know it's because you're insensitive and you only think of yourself. But I forgive you for what you did. I, I can't help it you're not as spiritual as I am. And so in here in front of all my friends... I forgive you for being such a loser. (laughs) Sometimes we weaponize forgiveness and we say to ourselves, well, I covered my bases with God. For the record, you're not fooling him or us. (laughs) That's not forgiveness. That's keeping score. Two, Two other things real quick. One is I would encourage you in ideas of forgiveness that you prioritize people. Because people matter to God, and forgiveness makes a difference to people. It makes a difference in our our world. Can I tell you, you cannot have a healthy society. I'm not just talking about the church. I'm talking about our world. You cannot have a healthy society without forgiveness. And if we keep being people who promote a cancel culture, we are going to cannibalize ourselves. We've been called as God's people to forgive. It's really true in the church there's scriptures over and over again where the Bible talks just about forgiving. It's interesting that we just talked about the Asbury revival. I, I've known people in my life who have prayed, 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 and prayed for revival and held on to grudges like nobody's business. If you want revival, maybe it needs to start in your life with forgiveness. I can tell you this, and this is not a, this is not a Calvary pot shot. I'm so thankful to pastor a church filled with people who prioritize people in what God wants to do. But I've seen more churches destroyed because there were toxic sheep that came into the flock and tried to contaminate others with their bitterness. And where I felt like God really wanted us to talk for just a moment is about our marriages. There is is no marriage that is in crisis that hasn't in some way gotten to that place because something hurtful happened, and it's really hard for the other person to forgive. We're talking about two hurting people, and sometimes we can be so wrapped up in that hurt and in that bitterness that it's hard for us to move past, and sometimes the only thing that will break through those barriers it's somebody asking for forgiveness to allow God's grace to come through in a powerful way. Let me give you two more things to remember real quick. Here's another one. Forgive freely and trust cautiously. Forgive freely, but trust cautiously. You know that forgiveness and trust are not the same thing, Right? because sometimes we forgive someone, but we still need to guard our hearts. You can forgive someone, and you can keep the bitter root from growing, but sometimes we have to be careful because they're prone to trespass against us again. I hope, it's probably not something you intended to hear your pastor say today, but do you know there are some people in the world who are just evil? Read the book of Proverbs, it talks about it. If you have been hurt by an evil person, it is key that you forgive them but it doesn't mean necessarily that you trust someone who's untrustworthy. One last thought as we forgive and before we wrap up. Sometimes you have to go first. Sometimes the only way for forgiveness to happen in a relationship is for you to go first. Well, they owe me an apology. They popped my balloon Sometimes there's more to the story than just that. Sometimes, especially in family relationships, the way forgiveness happens is that the person who is most mature in Christ in the relationship is the one who has to go first and take that first step towards forgiveness. Well, this has been fun, hasn't it? <laughs> Why is this so important, Jed? Jed? Because forgiveness, if you hold it back, will lead to unforgiveness that will mess up your relationship with God. It'll play right into the devil's hands. It'll destroy your relationships with other people. But if you will forgive, here's forgiveness fact number four. Forgiveness sets you free. (laughs) Forgiveness will change your life. That's why Jesus says to us, Look, if you'll forgive, then it opens up. There is something spiritually dynamic that happens when you forgive. Because he says, If you forgive, then your father can forgive you. It opens up something in your life. I know you were done wrong. I know it wasn't right. But forgiveness sets you free. That very term that Matthew uses when he talks about forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer is used over 140 times in the New Testament. It has behind it the idea to let go, to leave behind, to dismiss to cancel a debt, and here's what we see here. You are held back until you let go. You are held back until you let go. Some of you, there's places in your life where you will not thrive. There is joy you will not know. There is peace you won't experience. There is grace from God and dreams to be fulfilled that will not happen until you let go of that unforgiveness. And here, even more, unforgiveness takes a physical toll on our bodies, They've done studies to show that when someone expresses forgiveness, it lowers your risk of a heart attack, it improves your cholesterol, improves your sleep, reduces your pain, reduces your blood pressure, gives you lower levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. That's powerful, isn't it? But chronic anger puts you into fight or flight mode. It will change your heart rate, your blood pressure, your immune response. You will have an increased risk of depression, heart disease, and diabetes, among other things. But if you forgive, it's physically proven. It's going to lower your stress level. It's going to help you to be healthier, and you'll be all around better looking. Amen? (laughs) I want you to forgive because I want you to be right with God. And I want you to forgive because I don't want the devil to have a heyday with you, or your marriage, or your dreams, or your eternity. And I want this church, I want your home, I I want our world to live the way that God intended it to. But let's get real selfish real fast. You forgive for yourself. Ultimately, that forgiveness, it changes you. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 11 says this, a person's wisdom yields patience it is to one's glory to overlook an offense when you forgive that's to your glory that's to your benefit that helps that helps you out look at what, look what james says james chapter 3 but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition sound like unforgiveness yes or no If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down. When you're holding on to envy, when you're holding on to selfishness, it does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, it's unspiritual. Look at that word. It's from the devil. Why? For where you have envy and selfish ambition... There, you find disorder in every evil practice. I can't see you online. I can't see an auditorium, too, but in this room, would you raise both hands if you could use a little disorder in your life? That's what I thought. But when you hold on to unforgiveness, you do it to yourself. I know it hurts. And I know for some of us, it's easier said than done. We, we've, we've talked about it in this way. As we prayed the Lord's Prayer, we've, we've looked up, we've looked down. Today, we look in. Would, would you join me in something for just a moment? Would you maybe put your hands here for just a moment? And would you let the Holy Spirit help you look in? Not just for forgiveness you need from God, but from that relationship or those words or that person that disrespected you, took advantage of you, that abused you or lied to you or abandoned you, that trust that was broken, that balloon that was popped, and would you be willing to say beginning today I forgive. It's probably not over today. There may be conversations that you need to have. There may be ways that things have to be made right. My concern's for your heart to begin today to say I forgive. Maybe you don't have anything to forgive, but, but join me in this for just a minute. Take, take your hands from where they are and just kind of put them out in front of you like this, like you, like you just took something out that you're not gonna keep in there anymore. You're all pretty good. Some of the other services are dirtier than you are, but you guys are all pretty good in this service that if you have water bottles or papers or, or something, you usually take them out of here with you when, you when you leave and you put them in the trash. You don't leave them. We still have a maintenance crew that always comes in in between services and they, they clean things up. So if you've got something in your hands you need to leave here today, just drop it because they're gonna take care of it. Don't worry, Gloria will get it and she's awesome. (laughs) If you need to leave it, leave it here today and say, I forgive. February of 2016, elderly man boarded a plane in Mogadishu in Africa. Shortly after takeoff, they were at about 12,000 feet Worst thing you can imagine, if you're a passenger on that plane, there was an explosion, and the explosion blew a hole right in the fuselage in the mi- middle of the plane. What they come to find out is that elderly man was actually a terrorist. And when he got on that plane, he had his uh, he had his laptop with him, and inside of his laptop was a bomb. And he let that bomb off, and it did exactly what it was supposed to do, and just blew a hole right out of the side of that plane. The interesting part is that no one on that plane was harmed and they were able to safely bring it back from those 12,000 feet and bring it down. I take that back. When the bomb exploded and the hole blew out of the fuselage, the only person who was wounded was that terrorist who was sucked right out of the plane. Because the very thing that he was holding on to that he thought would hurt other people was what destroyed him in the end. Whatever unforgiveness you're holding on to, whatever list you kept, whatever grudge you hold, whatever root of bitterness there might be, let it go so it doesn't destroy you. Father, we love you. And for some of us today, we just need to say, I forgive. Gotta let it go. God, to give it to you. I don't want to hold on to this anymore. For some of us, this is a matter of, of guilt and shame we've been carrying, that God, the Holy Spirit will now be able to do a new work in our lives because we're willing to say, I forgive. The devil's been having a heyday. Gossip, comparison, and pride. Some of us have just been stuck in our wounds. and Today, that's gonna begin to change because we say, I forgive. Lord, for some of us, it's, it's gonna be a journey, and maybe one we can't do on our own. We might have to get some professional help along the way. We might have to spend some extra time with you. We might have to have some conversations and maybe even have people help us in those conversations that lead to healing. But Lord, today as we say, I forgive, would that start a path to, to peace? Lord, there's husbands and wives that need to take each other's hands again and offer forgiveness. There's people that need to make things right and stop keeping score. Lord, some of us need to go first and say, I forgive. And Lord, through that forgiveness, would you bring us life, and life that only you can bring. God, you're so good. And thank you that right there in the the model that you've taught us to pray, you're looking out for our souls. So Lord, would you not only forgive us, but would you help us to forgive? Lord, we're gonna need your special favor And we're going to need your wonderful peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being here. If God is working in your heart, don't leave it here. Follow him in what he's calling you to do. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.